Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life, and for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topics and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now, here's your host, award-winning certified exit planning advisor, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the Exit Planning Podcast Show. Today's guest is a partner and practice lead for his firm's transaction team, and he's here today to talk with us about what sellers need to know about working capital. We're going to hear from him right after we hear a word from our very important show sponsors. What we see with many businesses is that they've never gotten marketing to work consistently and the marketing they do doesn't meaningfully impact their bottom line. Data approaches it differently by partnering with clients for long-term, sustainable marketing solutions. They start with a consultative, crawl, walk, run approach that helps you scale your marketing efforts naturally. Data provides marketing for the long-time success of your business to tell your story in a compelling way and to make sure the value you bring is apparent to everyone. Go to data.com for more information. That's D-A-Y-T-A dot com. TrustPoint will design and manage a 401k plan that fits your company's needs. They handle everything from record keeping and investments to employee education and ongoing administration. And they take on the highest level of fiduciary responsibility to ensure your 401k plan is compliant. You already have plenty to keep you up at night. Your 401k plan should not be one of them. Visit TrustPointInc.com for more details. Many business owners planning a business transition often feel overwhelmed and don't know where to start. I'm Kyla Hansen, a partner at JAK CPAs. We can guide you to make sense of the numbers and the tax pieces of your transition. Leaving your business successfully takes time. So contact us today to discuss your situation. Visit our website at www.jakcpa.com. Attention all business owners. Are you seeking to learn more about exit planning? True North Mergers and Acquisitions is excited to announce our M&A Summit. Join us on September 13th at the Minneapolis Event Center for a day full of panels, guest speakers, and breakout sessions that will emphasize profitability for your business. Register for this free event today at www.jakcpa.com. TNMA.com slash events. The summit will feature keynote speaker Russell Price, the chief economist for Ameriprise Financial, whose work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and Bloomberg News. Join us on September 13th at the Minneapolis Event Center for our MA Summit. Register for this free event today at www.tnma.com slash events. Space is limited, so register today. We got another outstanding event coming up that you won't want to miss. The Twin Cities chapter of the Exit Planning Institute is hosting our fifth annual Owners Forum on Thursday, October 5th from 2 to 6 p.m. at the Midland Hills Country Club in St. Paul, Minnesota. We're going to be talking about the state of business owner preparedness and how you can increase enterprise value with some fabulous speakers, as well as share the results of the State of Owner Readiness Survey. For more information, see the show notes so you can register for this important event. We'll love to see you there. Welcome back, everyone. We are here today with Joe Hellman, who's a partner at Redpath and Associates and the practice lead for their transaction advisory services. Joe, welcome to the Poise for Exit show. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for being here with us today. Um, for those of the, uh, the listeners out there who are familiar with Redpath, I'm sure most of you are. 
Um, maybe you listened to the Red Path podcast show, and I got to be a guest on Joe's show a couple months ago. So it's kind of fun that we get to turn that around and have you here in our studio. Yeah, I look forward to it. It's a different experience being on the other side. Yeah, well, and I think the topic for today is a pretty good one because, you know, like we talked about before, it isn't a topic that we've actually covered very much, you know, in, in the Poise for Exit show. And like I said in the opener, we're going to talk about networking capital. So before we dive into that, though, I'd just like to have you share with us accounting. So you got into accounting and particularly into the M&A space. How did you get there? So when I got out of college, it was a it was right during the financial crisis, or I guess before the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at different careers in finance and accounting and ultimately took the role that I thought was a little more conservative, keep a job long term. And that mm-hmm. was accounting. Um, I still try not to tell people I'm an accountant. I stick with the finance side of it. Okay. Um, but it was a good background. So I started an audit. I started at one of your mid larger mid-tier firms. Mm-hmm. Um, knew I didn't want to do audit, but like the uh, the finance and the advisory piece of it. Started to do a little bit of dabbling in a different types of advisory, found M&A, and fell in love with it. Uh, something that mm. keeps my attention. For those who know me, know I have a pretty short attention span if uh, don't keep me thinking. Hey, I get and it. <laughs> M&A has always done that for me. Yeah. It, it's, it's fun. It's challenging. Every yeah. deal is different. Yes. Um, you work with a lot of founder-owned businesses and people who, frankly, haven't invested in their accounting and finance function. So it's, you typically get to advise more than just through a transaction, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah, really. I, I would think that before, during, and after... You know, Redpath can be there and be the advisory firm for the business owner and for the next act, whatever that looks like. Usually they're going to something else, right? They don't yep. necessarily just hit the golf course. So yep. um, let's get into our topic for today, which is working capital, particularly networking capital. So let's explain to our listeners what is networking capital. Yeah. So as a business owner, you may hear working capital and not understand what the difference between kind of networking capital for a transaction or an exit would be versus uh, working capital management, which is you just managing your typical cash flow, cash conversion cycle. Uh, when we're talking about it from a deal perspective and uh, possible exit, we are simply looking at a very uh, simple calculation of current assets, less current liabilities. In a typical transaction, you're going to have it on a cash-free, debt-free basis, which means as a founder or a business owner, you are going to keep your cash. Um, you're going to take all that cash and the proceeds that you're going to get from an exit and deduct the debt because you have to pay off your own debt. And when you get to that number, that is where you're at. So when you have that number after debt has been paid off, that is what we commonly refer to as the proceeds. But there's a lot of questions that go into that networking capital number where we just talked about cash-free, debt-free, but there's a lot more to it. So I keep it simple current assets, less current liabilities, take out debt, take out cash. Okay. Cash. Let's talk about that. So cash can be vague, right? Mm -hmm. If you're using line of credits, that could be uh, zero cash, but you're taking sweeps every day. Um, Mm. Ultimately, what we care most about in these situations is if you have any restricted cash or cash that's been set aside for potential future commitments and liabilities, Sure. that could be an area where a prospective buyer looks at that and says, well, that's not truly cash. That's not something that you can just walk away with. That's something that for us to run the business, it has to be paid. It has to be something that goes to a vendor or mm-hmm. other costs. Right. Um, so what we're looking for is that cash number 
removing outstanding checks because outstanding checks are checks that have been written that haven't cleared the bank. Right. Um, we don't want to have a negative bank account post-close. Mm-hmm. Um, and then removing any sort of restricted cash. So when we talk about what we get to keep in terms of accounts receivable and cash, uh, that comes up a lot. Business owners say, well, I earned that money. It's in my AR. Like, you know, but yet at the same time, if I'm the buyer, I'm like, hey, I got to have something to keep this thing going, right? So let's talk about that. Like, let's spend some time on that. Yeah. And I'd say AR is one of the common areas of whether you call it negotiation mm-hmm. or dispute early on. I, I think mm. it's a fair statement because it comes down to you may have an unsophisticated seller who is an operator. Operators want to take what they've earned. Right. Whereas if you have a f- sophisticated financial sponsor, they understand working capital and include AR. Mm-hmm. So in general, I'm going to use general terms to start, when we look at accounts receivable, if we're talking about um, a larger transaction and large defined doesn't have to be huge, but let's just say more than, call it 15, 10 to 15 million in enterprise value, where someone's coming to you and saying, here's your earnings, here's a multiple of your earnings, this is what you're going to get paid for um, the purchase price. Mm -hmm. In those situations, the buyer typically is going to expect a normal level of working capital to be left in the business. Right. What that represents is they want to make sure that the business is going to run itself for the first 30, 60, 90 days. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to have to come in and upset the employees. They don't want to make a ton of changes. They want to be able to just pick up where you left off. You can ride off into the sunset. Maybe you're going to come on as a contractor or something like that, but they want to make sure that there's enough funds to help create cash flow. Exactly. The only way to do that is with AR. Accounts receivable are the items that that's going to be cash inflows, but as a business owner, you've already been paid for that revenue. You've already been paid for that earnings because that flowed through your P&L. So in an accrual-based business, just all things equal, you will get paid for that in your multiple of earnings, depending on the cleanliness of your financials. Okay. And therein lies the the whole like nine yards, right? Cleanliness of the financials and making, well, we're not going to talk about that today, but <laughs> that has a lot to do with how you figure this all out. So yeah. um, when it comes to the AR though, how do you deal with the more recent versus the aged, right? Because that's mm-hmm. there's certain firms that carry AR for a while, and it depends on the industry, right, and how they're paid, and then how what kind of collection policy they have, and yep. all of those factors. Yeah, and that's a really good question because that that really could be deal by deal. Yeah, and um, one I'll give a couple of examples here to sit, show you how I've seen it treated, mm-hmm. and we'll just say this is use a recency bias here, where this is in the last six to nine months for all these. There's certain industries that actually will let a business owner keep AR. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily an industry, but that's a specific buyer pool. So there are some strategics where they may look at it and say, we want a clean transaction. We want to just acquire your assets. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. We're going to acquire your assets, but keep your AR because we just we really truly care about the PP&E, the fixed assets, the heavy equipment that we're buying from you. Um, it's rare, but it happens. Um, we had one transaction recently where there were four or five different buyers at the table. Um, we chose a buyer that actually let our client keep their AR. It was a sizable deal. It was nearing $100 million um, in enterprise value. Mm. They kept their AR because what they were ultimately doing, they were renting heavy equipment. Mm. What people wanted was the market share because you had to have uh, specific licenses 
and dealer licenses to be able to work in specific areas. Mm-hmm. Very unique situation. Sounds like it. Um, other transactions where I worked on another one that was just a couple million dollars in purchase price. The sellers really thought they should keep their AR. The buyer was, um, you know, they were someone that was more sophisticated. They came from a private equity shop. So they looked at it and said, no, I need working capital to keep in the business. Sure. And in that one, there was a little bit of a battle back and forth to try to uh, figure out what was right. After we kind of did some education and talked about, you know, this multiple is truly based on what's been earned, which is, you know, revenue recognizing under the accrual basis. Mm -hmm. Everyone came to the same decision that, all right, AR will be included in working capital. We get to keep our cash, but because we're growing, anything over a certain level of AR, I get to keep because I, as the seller, because you know they didn't feel like they were being paid a multiple for growth. And to be fair, they probably weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, it's a little more unique. But what typically happens is working capital is left in. We look at AR agents, look to see how old inventory or how old accounts receivable is. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, some buyers are going to have a, uh, have a criteria and it's going to be based on their asset-based lending profile, maybe only 60 days and under, maybe 90 days and under. Sure. And that's what they're going to buy. And mm-hmm. then as a seller, you may be responsible for collecting the rest or the buyer will do it and then remit it back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, each deal is a little different sure. in kind of who the buyer is, the right. industry, yeah. and kind of level of sophistication. Well, you said that the buyer on that one was a PE firm, but it was a smaller company. How often are you seeing that these days? It depends. Um, If if you're talking a platform, so a platform is a deal where um, they're going to stand alone. Well, what's the what was the attraction for a PE firm to come in and buy? What did you say? It was one to two million. Just a few million dollars. A few million dollars. Yeah. What What was the attraction? Market share. Ultimately, it was someone with a good reputation needing to not needing but wanting to expand, wanting to um, you know supplement some of the capabilities. Okay. So it, they had some nice machines that mm. uh, they could add into an existing facility, and they could just basically just lift Got and it. put it into their facility. So it was more of a roll-up. So yeah. was this traditional PE then, or was it like a smaller, smaller. Ha- buy-and-hold? Okay. Yeah, someone who had left a larger. Got it. That makes sense. And then you said um, multiple on growth. So with a smaller company like that, again, I'm just like, really? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, for our listeners out there, that's kind of positive. Yeah, and it, that's where it really comes down to the type of asset, right. how, how high a quality. I know. It all depends. It and all how much depends. growth. <laughs> you know, as, as we're sitting here today, and today is early September of 23, right? Yes. And as we're recording this, I would tell you if you're an A asset, go to market. It's, just a, it's a, as competitive as ever. Good valuations. Uh, people are getting through diligence quickly. Sometimes you're getting people to still not have to do full diligence because it's so competitive. Mm. If you're a B asset, you might want to take a little harder look. The valuations have come down. The aggressiveness on um, negotiations have come up. And the level of diligence has gone incredibly high compared to what we've been in the last, call it, 12 to 24 months. I've heard that. Um, if you're a C asset, it's probably fair to say you probably shouldn't come to market right now. Got it. Um, which means if you don't, if you haven't spent time with your financial statements, if you don't know your numbers, if you don't know um, how clean things are, you can't actually state them on a right. accrual basis. That's a lot of headwinds to try to get over at this stage. Yeah. Well, like we talked about in your show, owner readiness and business readiness. I mean, they're essential, right? And so, what you just described in the C asset would be totally not ready. 
Mm-hmm. Not ready to go to market at all. But yep. maybe differentiate for our listeners the difference between an A asset and a B asset. That's a, it's a bit subjective. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone has a different view. Uh, each private equity fund may have their own view. Mm. Each um, individual investor likely has some perspective of it because mm-hmm. an A asset in the healthcare space is different than an A asset in a manufacturing business. Oh, sure. But what it ultimately comes down to is an individual investor, what they find most attractive. So industry, ignore the industry side of it. It comes down to, do you have any concentration on the customer or vendor side? No, you, you kind of check a box. Mm-hmm. Are your financials clean, doing a consistent process month to month? Um, you don't have any issues with you know audit adjustments or reviews at the end of the year? Check another box. You know, as I talk about audits and reviews, you're having an audit and review done on an annual basis. Mm. You have a CFO and you have a complete accounting and finance team. Um, right. Then your question before about growth, you're growing. You're not just right. flat. In a growth business, that puts you much. That makes you much more attractive. Right. Um, you've invested in the equipment you have, in the shop you have, if it is a production type facility. Mm-hmm. It just all comes down to how well positioned is a potential buyer to be able to take over day one versus having a long um, transition with the exist the existing founders. Sure. So, would you say uh, when it comes to growth and having growth potential? A lot of companies think that they have growth potential, right? Owners do. And I'm not saying that they don't. I think that they do. But for the vast majority, they don't really have a roadmap for how they're going to get there. Would you say that that does add value when there is an actual written strategic plan that they're following and implementing? As long as they're following it and they're successful at following it. Because what we typically will see is we'll talk to people about their budgeting and forecasting, this kind of comes back to the working capital concept. Yes. Are you forecasting top line and uh, swagging the margins and net incomes? Or are you actually doing a true forecast, which is a three-statement model? You know, mm-hmm. you're doing P&L, balance sheet, and cash flow. Mm-hmm. The, the more accurate you are with your forecast and budgeting, the better off you'll be. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I say that most businesses we represent or that we work with do not have that sophisticated of a model. Right. A lot of times an investment bank will come in and do that for the clients. Got it. But they have people on the operations side that understand it well enough that you're able to create a forecast. So just because someone doesn't budget or forecast doesn't make it so they automatically can't be in a asset. It's, it's truly more of a best-in-class um, example of something that could get you closer to that. And owners who want to be an A asset and maybe are close could be spending time doing some of these things while they're also positioning themselves and preparing for whatever that transition looks like into the future over the next year or two. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. I would say some of these things, or most of these things, they're not quick overnight fixes. These are things that um, they take time. You you can't just, you know, let's just say you're, let's just say you're doing shoebox accounting in Excel. And at a minimum, you want to get to QuickBooks. Yeah. Luckily, QuickBooks is pretty easy for you to change over to. You're not going to change your processes overnight. It's going to take time. Mm -hmm. Um, Likewise, say you're in QuickBooks, but you've outgrown it. You're a $40, $50 million uh, revenue business. You're starting to want to look at what gets capitalized into overhead or into inventory from an overhead and labor perspective. Mm -hmm. QuickBooks isn't probably going to do a great job of that. So you want to change ERPs. Those are situations where... If you're going to do that, just know you need to make sure it's buttoned up, you do it right, you have at least several months of 
activity to make sure there's no errors. So it takes time. You got to really prepare and be in a position where you feel good about where you're at and be mm-hmm. confident that you can keep hitting your numbers while going through a process. Well, when you turn the tables and you ask yourself, okay, if I were the buyer and I had to look at all of this, would it make sense? If the answer is no, then you got work to do, right? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So um, how do I prepare then as a seller for this part of the transaction when it comes to working capital, networking capital? So from my perspective, and I, I tell people this all the time, because working capital, networking capital typically comes up later on in transactions. Right. You mm-hmm. typically don't see it until drafts of the purchase agreement are coming back and forth, and there's that, there's that one definition of working capital, target working capital, whatever you want to call it, and you have to put a number in there. And that's when it usually creates issues. I tell people, get ahead of it. Think about this in advance. Know your numbers and know your financials. Mm-hmm. Understand if you have things like customer deposits, if you get, if you know, anytime you get a prepayment from a customer, understand what you use that cash for. Do you turn that into inventory immediately? Or maybe you're sitting on it because you're ultimately using deposits from one customer to fund your business. If that's the case, be prepared and don't be surprised to have that called debt-like in a transaction. So it truly is knowing your business, knowing your numbers. And I would say most importantly, the second piece of advice I would give is hire the right advisors. Um, mm-hmm. not, a, not a plug necessarily for anything I do, but a plug for having the right attorney, having the right, whether it's a broker, investment bank, exit planner, having the right uh, accounting and tax team. Because M&A is very different than the typical day-to-day role people play. Yes. And if people only do a few transactions a year, that's a starting point, but it's not going to get you the best representation. You want people that spend all day in this because the market changes all the time. Right. You know, in the last 18 months, we've it feels like we've gone through three distinct cycles, even though we haven't. Right. I know. I agree 100%. We, it's such a serious matter. We, we just can't afford as sellers to work with people who dabble in it. Um, when you think about the fact that for the, for the vast majority of business owners, their nest egg is their business. And this is, for many of them, the most important financial decision of their life, the most important financial transaction of their life. And so when you most of the time you got one shot, right? Not always, yep. but most of the time. And so if that's the case, then why would we want to skimp? Yeah. You know, it's okay for them to continue to work with the advisors that they worked with since they started the business. However, many times, like we talked about in your show, um, you got to have an upgrade because it pays in, you know, spades to have really good advice, right? Yep. So, yeah, gosh, we can keep going on this, that's for sure. Um, but, Joe, I so appreciate you being on the show and thank you for touching on this subject. There's more to it. So, for our listeners who want to know more, and learn more, uh, we're going to have contact information for Joe Hellman and Redpath in our show notes. And so you can reach out to him and talk with him uh, more about their services and about your future transaction. For our listeners, we thank you. Thank you, Joe, for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Really appreciate it. And our listeners, please join us again next time. We love having you around.